What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Hungry for Success podcast. I'm your host, Michael Phelps. On this episode of the show, I had a super informative conversation with Nick Shaw, who is the CEO of Renaissance Periodization, the host of the RP Strength podcast, and the author of his new book, Fit for Success. During this conversation, we discussed Nick's new book and what it takes to be successful. We talked about training, nutrition, and all sorts of other topics. If you enjoy the show, please help us out by sharing it with your family, friends, or by sharing it on social media. And with that said, here's Nick. Nick, how's it going, man? It's going very well. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for um, being on. I, I definitely appreciate it. I um, just recently found um, RP and you and you know all of your content, and I've really went all the way in on it over over the last week. I have about an hour commute to work, so. I'm pretty much listening to your podcast on the way there, on the way back. And um, I've gotten a lot of uh, really um, good stuff out of your content, man. I think it's uh, really inspiring and really good information for people out there. Well, thanks, man. We really appreciate you listening. Yeah, it, it is pretty cool. Just, uh, I mean, just with the way technology is these days, it's just really cool to be able to, to reach a bunch of people. And, you know, like you said, two weeks ago, you probably didn't know what RP is. And, you know, now, and I know a little bit about it. It's just really cool to see. So I'm super happy to be here. And it's awesome to hear. Yeah, I actually found you guys. Um, I saw a like promotion for the um, 12 week like transformation challenge. And really, I was just in a point where like, it was the new year, I was setting some goals. And one of my goals was just to, um, you know, have the best uh, physique that I've ever had. I mean, I've, I have lost 130 pounds over the last like five years, but just really to the point now I, I've been strength training pretty much that whole time. And I'm to a point where I really want to take, you know, my physique and my training to the next level. And I didn't have, I've been struggling with that because I didn't have like a set like date on the calendar, a set goal to like really work towards. And so when I saw the 12 week challenge, I was like, you know, that's something I could jump into. It's like a defined time that I can really focus on my training and my nutrition and, and get things dialed in. And so that's kind of how I came across you guys and, and really just um, jumped in. But I wanted to, you know, learn a little bit more about you, you know, like personally, how did you get into this whole fitness realm, nutrition, the, this whole thing? We can go a ways back. So I've always been into fitness, I guess, ever since I was man, a teenager. And I had an older brother, four years older than me. He was training for high school sports. So, you know, what do I see? I see him training. We had one of those really old, if you can uh, remember these, it was like a really skinny bench and the, the kind of standards <laughs> for the bench were like right there and you yep. just barely fit your head in there and uh, sand weights. So like, that's all we had because who knows, they're probably from, you know, 1970s or something like that. My parents had it in our basement or actually I think we got it from like my uncle. I think that's actually what it was. So anyways, we started lifting and, you know, my brother's older than I am. So what do I do? I start lifting with him and I look up to him, of course. And I just got hooked. I loved it. Uh, I loved lifting. I loved training. I was actually a runner in high school. So I've just always been into it. I, I love the idea of just pushing myself and, and getting better, right? Because that's what fitness is, is really ultimately about. There's mm -hmm. no end point in fitness. It's always, you lift a little bit more weight. Can you run a little bit faster? Can you do a few more reps? Like there's just always a little bit more. So I just, I'm really drawn to that whole idea and concept. Yeah. So the same for me, I actually had one of those, uh, those benches. Like I, you know, I was, I loved football pretty much my entire life. And I, um, my dad got me one of those benches with the sand weights and, you know, I was in middle school <laughs> deadlifting in my bedroom probably wasn't the greatest thing for our, the floor in our house, but you know, <laughs> I was, uh, in there ripping deadlifts off the ground at a young age and I've loved it pretty much ever since. But I think, um, one thing that attracts people to to the side of lifting is just that it's it's really never ending and it's really just you versus you the entire time totally it's all about that process it's all about just yeah competing against yourself getting a little bit better there is no end in sight it's really for some folks it's just you're, you're drawn to it early and i actually remember two quick stories from, from high school so you know we had one of those bars it probably weighed like five pounds <laughs> yeah we weighed nothing 
And anyway, so you, you kind of think that you're awesome because maybe you have some 45s on each side and it's like a hundred pound or so. Basically, I walk into our high school weight room you know, for the first time ever. And this was before we even had like an actual weight room in my high school. It was like behind the bleachers in, in the gym. That's all we had. And those bars weigh 45. So of course, what do I do the first time? I slap on 45 on each side. I'm like, oh yeah, time to you know shirt off because <laughs> I've been doing this. I, I take it off. It just buries me. I'm like, oh my gosh, like what's going on here? Because like 130 versus 100 or whatever. So the the one really good thing about weight training too is it's really humbling, right? Like mm-hmm. you just you can't you can't fake it. It's you have to truly earn everything you get in there. And so I think a lot of people are drawn to that. Um, the other the other story too is you know I was a runner. I was called a, a gym rat by my actually the, the girls high school track coach i just thought like that was the best compliment you would probably ever give me it's like i just love being in the gym i love pushing myself i love getting better because i was not talented at all the only thing that i had going for me is that i could probably outwork most people so that's the mm-hmm. only reason i was even somewhat decent yeah so how did you go from that like uh growing up being into fitness and everything to to making it a career and you know i mean now you're the ceo of um rp right uh, an author with um a book that is has some to do with uh, definitely fitness and the success of that how did you go from you know being young and loving lifting to that well so i was always into sports I was always really big into sports and I went to college to study sport management. So again, just kind of in that athletic realm, didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. I actually thought I was going to be an athletic director, but I just knew I wanted to do something sport related. Anyways, my sophomore year of college, I'm in the gym training and I see this short stocky guy squatting 405, like perfect depth, perfect form. You don't see that in a student college weight room. It's, it's unheard of. So anyways, that draws my attention. I get to chatting with him. He sees me lifting. He's like, hey, you know, we have this powerlifting club here at uh, Michigan. You know, you ever thought about joining? No, not really. I don't, I don't know too much about it, but tell me more. He's like, well, you can powerlift, bench, squat, deadlift. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll try it out. Like, I, I love this stuff. And I'm always a really competitive person. So it kind of gave me that uh, space to compete and, and be competitive. And I was immediately hooked to it. Um, He's actually the, so long story short, he was, he's the co-founder of RP with me. So it's kind of funny how we met, uh, literally in the weight room, both training. So that's kind of how it, uh, the, the early seeds were planted. And then I kind of switched my focus a little bit to, oh, well, maybe I'm not going to do something sport related, but maybe I'm going to do more something fitness related. And not that I changed my major or anything, but, you know, if I, if I had the option to pick some classes, like usually I was picking something that was more fitness oriented now versus, you know, I still had to take all the sports classes, but uh, I could definitely tell that I, I wanted to trend that way. And he got me competing powerlifting. I tried a bodybuilding show. I was immediately hooked. Just, just how hard it is, how much of a challenge it is. You just have to be so dedicated and disciplined. I just, I loved it. Um, so graduated from Michigan. He was two years ahead of me in school. He was graduating with his master's. He was going out to New York to be a personal trainer. He said, hey, you want to come with me? You know, they need some more people. I said, yeah, sure, sign me up. Like, I didn't really know what I was going to do after college. So that's really what happened. So we are personal trainers in Manhattan, which was really awesome. Got to train, you know, some of the smartest people, most accomplished people in the whole world, which is really, really mm-hmm. cool. And <clears throat> so that was a great first experience out of college. Did that for about a year, started doing a little bit more on my own. My buddy actually went back to school to get his PhD in sport physiology. So again, kind of right up our alley. And lo and behold, over time, started doing some online coaching. And this is way back in 2011, maybe 2012. So pretty early on in the, the online coaching realm. I know it's a little bit different now. <clears throat> Here we are almost a decade later. Yeah. It seems like everyone's a fitness coach or whatever online. So we were a bit early. And that was really the, the starting foundation of, of RP about a decade ago. Yeah, that's a really cool story how just being um... – you know, in the right place at the right time, it, you know, it kind of worked out for you. And I think it's even something that I, I guess we'll get to this later, but that you talked in the book about, you know, kind of luck and the right place in the right time kind of thing, but that doesn't happen unless you put yourself in those situations, you know, like you're in the gym working out and stuff. And, uh, you know, so I think that's really cool, but one quick story. So I didn't realize that you went to Michigan, but, uh, I assume you're Michigan, uh, football fan. 
Um, so one time, oh no, <laughs> one time, well, in my house, my wife is a huge Ohio State fan, grew up in Ohio. So there's, there's a big rivalry there. But when I was in high school, I, I was in the weight room, like during the summer and this guy walks in and, uh, he, we had a very, very good wide receiver, um, you know, one Kentucky player of the year. And, and he, uh, he says, hi, I'm Jim, Jim Harbaugh. Nice to meet you. And I was like, hi, I'm Michael Phelps. And I had no clue who he was at the time, like literally no clue. And it was just one, it ended up being, he was like, where's the coach's office? And I was like, come here. And they weren't in there. So we stood there and talked back and forth for like 10 minutes. And, and then I, the coach came and he was like, Oh, you know, like very surprised. And then afterwards he came up to me and was like, what'd you talk to Jim Harbaugh about? And I was like, Oh, we we're just kind of, you know, shooting the shit. And he was like, do you know who that is? And I was like, I have no clue. Not a bit. Was, was, was he, uh, was he coaching at uh, Western Kentucky at the time? No, he was actually coaching at Stanford at the time. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, and so he, the guy that uh, he was there to see didn't end up going there. He went to Vanderbilt. But it was just like one of those cool things where you have absolutely no idea this guy's, you know, a super big deal. I'm talking to him just like you or I, and it, it's just a normal conversation that I have on a Wednesday with somebody, you know, like randomly. And uh, he was a super cool – he was a super cool guy. Um, yeah, but, so, so real quick, just on that note, it is something really funny to, to think because I think a lot of times on social media or whatever, we get these warped perceptions of people and that like, you know, they're somehow larger than life or whatever. When in reality, the, the cool thing that I've noticed, and I've had the, the fortunate pleasure to work with some you know, top athletes or whatever, like they're just, you know, normal people too. Like mm-hmm. we're all just humans. It's, it's not, you know, they're not some you know, mystical person or whatever. Like, hey, they're just another person. They just happen to you know, probably work their tail off and, and have for a number of years. So that is pretty cool. And yeah, I think that's one of the interesting things, you know, he's, he's hopefully doesn't have a huge ego or whatever, because that's usually pretty good with us if they're down to earth and, and chat with, you know, normal oh, people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's chatting with a high school kid that, you know, has no idea who he is and just super cool. But going back to, to RP, um, the, so I started using the diet app and I, so I'm only a weekend, but Honestly, I, I love it and kind of for two reasons, maybe some that m- some people don't think of. It's like that as opposed to other apps and things that I've used. I feel like I've tried a ton of stuff over the years, but um, I'm a very like a goal oriented person. Right. And so whenever I'm on the app, I go in there for the I went in there for the week and I planned out all my food. And then just the fact of like checking in every meal and hitting like where I was with my macros and stuff like that makes me um where I am goal oriented like I don't want to disappoint myself by having like being forced to hit like the under macros or over and then like every time I do that like I want to see that mill streak like check-ins grow I want to see that compliance stay at 100 and then you know and then you have like the the graph in there like with the weight going up and down or whatever like you know, just being goal oriented, I want to constantly do the right thing. And that, um, you know, sometimes on other diets, I've had like a little bit of, of trouble with just being compulsive, you know, like just stopping at a gas station to get gas and need something out of the store and then come back with donuts and all this kind of stuff. But with that, knowing that, you know, it's on my phone, I gotta, I gotta hit that. It just keeps me super on track. Yeah, totally. So, with, with one-on-one coaching, right? So if you hire a coach, it, it's good for a lot of reasons. The main reason is accountability. And that's a, a draw for a lot of people. They need a little bit extra, but the trade-off is the higher cost. So not mm-hmm. everyone, you know, one-on-one coaching isn't gonna be for everyone. But if you take that idea and you're able to scale it down, you know, $15 a month for the RP app, like that's really, now you can reach and help a lot more people. And yeah, it's not a one-on-one coach you don't have that kind of human empathy where you can say oh hey coach you know i'm really stressed out or whatever from work like what do i do that's kind of the trade-off but you still get that accountability from it shows you everything it's going to show your results that's why i have the check-in and for a lot of people it is super helpful Um, i actually i made a comment yesterday so uh, i use one app and again it tracks like how many days in a row you use it there's actually a couple different ones that i use and i'm like you because they have that there, I'm like, I, I got to do it. Like, oh, I got to hop on today. I got to do it because I, I, I got to keep that streak going as long mm-hmm. as I can. So 
I think that uh, there is a good component to that. It just helps people stay consistent, be a little more accountable. And that's really, you know, without the the one-on-one human experience, that's about as good as you can do. Adding that accountability seems to really help a lot of folks. Yeah. And so that actually whole idea is one thing that I think probably drew me to you guys the most is um, when you have these, so you have like a large company, right? That is focused on the training and the nutrition side of things, like what I basically call like the, the blueprint of like health and fitness. But in, there's a lot of companies that do that. But what a lot of those companies leave out is like the mental side of things, right? So you have that, that nutrition built into the app, and then you have those triggers for the mental side of things built in there. But then as a whole, you know, like your company has that, but then you have this podcast and a lot of the stuff that you've talked about on there isn't necessarily the X's and O's of nutrition and stuff. It's, it's a lot of, um, mindset related things and how to be successful. And then that is what kind of drew me, um, to your book, uh, fit for success. And, um, I was really, I like that you guys have both of those components. Cause I think, you know, talking to the last 25 people, your episode 26, a lot of those being, um, successful weight loss journeys, the thing that is that makes them the most successful usually is the mindset and the lifestyle side of things. Absolutely. So we have a lot of cool books and resources. If you want to learn the X's and O's of nutrition, whether it's just healthy eating in general, whether it's maybe a bit more advanced, like you really want to dial in your macros and sort of improve your body composition, performance, whatever it is, like that's all, that's totally great helps a lot of people. We also have some stuff on the training side, on the recovery side, but we never really had anything that went a little bit beyond that. It was all, hey, we're going to help you fitness. It's great. helps a lot of people. Fitness is awesome, of course. But yeah, that was part of the reason for this book was it gives us that ability to branch out a little bit. And, And really outside of fitness, mindset, overcoming adversity, overcoming obstacles, like these things are universal. They help everyone. So that was kind of one of the reasons that I wanted to do the book. Again, I had some personal stuff happen in 2020, kind of pre-COVID, having to deal with that through COVID with my wife's health situation. And I just knew that so many people were impacted in 2020 by COVID that I was like, hey, I really want to get this book out this year before the end. You know, the book came out not too long ago, just in November. And so that was really the big part of it. It's like now we're able to help people one step outside of just fitness. Yeah. So what kind of gave you the, I guess, um, inspiration? Like what made you want to write this book? So I know you talked about a little bit wanting to give people the tools, but like, has this been something that you've thought about writing a book for for years or something that you just kind of, you know, popped in your head and you ran with? What, What about that? Uh, maybe a little bit of both. I never really had an idea to do a book until, you know, maybe a year ago. And it was, I'd been thinking about all these different ideas, reading a ton, you know, listening to different various podcasts and just kept noticing all these common themes and, you know, successful people in business do these things and successful people in fitness do these things and being able to work with some high level athletes, like CrossFit Games champions, Olympians, you just, you start to, you notice different things that they do their mindset, their approach to stuff. And I just was, I just kept coming back to this. And I had this list in my head of like, it seems like there's like these, you know, five or 10 things that people really do that are successful. And, you know, then 2020 hits, you know, my wife is diagnosed with some bad health stuff. And we had to deal with that as a family. And then, you know, COVID hit, she had surgery and dealing with chemo and all that, and then lockdowns and all that. And it really forced me to like, okay, well, it's, it's one thing to have these ideas in the back of my head. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to, to, to live them or whatever. But then all this happened. I truly had to 100% live these principles every single day of my life. And that was sort of the final light bulb in my head. that like, you know what? I think this is something that we can do. You know, make a book out of it. And given 2020, it's kind of, you're hit with all this bad stuff at once seemingly in 2020 well like you just kind of lay down and take it or do you flip it around you're like no i don't care that this bad stuff happened i'm actually going to make something really good come out of it and that was really the idea the ultimate inspiration uh, for the book yeah so one thing about the book is um you know i'd start started listening to some of your um newer podcasts and uh 
I had, you know, listened to you and your wife talk and go back and forth and then read the, started reading the book. And then, I, so I didn't know about all of her like health struggles really. And then I read the preface of the book and I was like, man, this is, it hit me. I was like, this is really heavy. And she, you know, talked about how those like principles, you know, uh, kept her going in the right direction during that stuff. And that was, uh, you know, also Bob Harper being in there, that, that was cool too, but that was even like more meaningful to me, you know, was, was her words and how much that the principles helped guide her. Totally. So when my wife was first diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, there's a, there's a nonprofit called Barbells for Boobs and they do a lot of work in the CrossFit space, you know, giving, giving money back and all that good stuff. But, uh, so I know the owner, we were on like a, a chat a couple of years ago together, sort of stayed in touch ever since, because we do a little bit of work with them each year. And it's funny that the first two things she told me, you know, I reached out, I was like, Hey, I gotta let you know, you know, what advice do you have? She was like, well, one, focus on the things that you can control. I was like, okay. I'm like, that's, I've already been thinking about the whole idea of mm -hmm. you know, internal locus of control. You, you control the controllables in front of you. And then the second thing she said was you have to just have to stay positive. Like, okay. Well, that makes sense. Like she indirectly or directly just covered, you know, chapters two and three in the book, basically <laughs> yep. uh, internal locus of control. So real quick, if someone's like, well, what does that mean? It's really something happens to you you perceive it is happening to you or the events happening and you still have control over how you respond, how you're going to take action to influence the, the eventual outcome. So if you think that your actions matter, things that you can do, you have more of an internal locus of control. Whereas external is you kind of have more of a victim mentality that you know things are happening to you, there's nothing you can do. And that's a pretty big difference. Um, so that's one and then positive mindset. So again, that's really, that's really, it's really important because I think the two are tied together. If you have a more positive mindset, you're going to be more optimistic, more hopeful that your actions do matter. So you're more likely to take action, which ties into hard work, you know, work ethic, which is you know, the, the foundation of the pyramid. And so I just think it's really interesting how all these things tie together. Yeah, they do. And you hear, um, so I, I like the pyramid, you know, uh, image and it, it really puts together how these things work together but it's cool to see how some people say things differently and they land with you differently so whenever I, you know i never heard the term internal locus of control but while i'm reading that what i can think about is you know i'm a big fan of of jocko and the stuff that he says and you know he has the speech like good like this yeah, bad thing happened to you good it gives you an opportunity to capitalize in some other way and so when i'm reading like internal locus of control i'm like man, like if something happens to me, uh, you know, from an external force, like it's up to me how I respond to that. It's up to me what opportunities I make from that. And that is similar to what he is saying. And you're just making me think about it in a different way. Um, so I think it's cool. Like I've heard like a lot of these principles before, but how you put them together, um, I think it's very helpful. And one of the, I think one of the ones I was most interested in was, was the work ethic and the idea that you have behind that. Because you know, we're told from like an early age, like childhood of that you can do anything you want as long as you work hard enough, right? Like you want to be an astronaut, you just got to work hard enough. You want to be an NBA player, you got to work hard enough. But that's not all, you know, that's not all there is to it. And I don't know why, but that was kind of like an eye-opening thing to read to read for me. And I think the reason why is because in my own personal journey, like when it comes to working out and all that stuff like I will work really hard like the work ethic part in my opinion is not like an, an effort or a, not an issue for me but you know there's are there are other parts of that pyramid where I lack and that's where I fall off right like so some days I'll like discipline or some days you know maybe the biggest thing is like the focus the focus on which goals I want to do I have a lot of competing goals and they switch back and forth so sometimes I work really really hard and I don't end up where I want to be and it's not because of not because I'm lazy or not because I'm not doing the right things. It's just because I'm not putting the whole pyramid together. Yeah, totally. I mean, working hard is really the foundation of everything. You can't really be successful in anything without working really, really hard, but that's kind of just working hard. You know, think about all the people out there that also work hard, right? So it just mm -hmm. kind of work ethic just kind of gets your foot in the door, so to speak. And it's, it's a really good start. It's a really good foundation, <clears throat> but you have to, 
to, in order to be successful, it's not just one thing, right? At the end of the day, it's yeah. not one thing. It's not even two or three things. It's actually a handful of things and you have to sort of combine all of these. So if you're only doing one or two of them, you're on the right track, but you're not gonna be as successful as you could if you kind of tied all these things together. And that's really, I guess, the biggest takeaway. So a couple of people, um, a couple of reviews that I've seen is, it's kind of like the idea of balance in the book. And I think that's a pretty good approach to it because yeah, you know, you can work hard and maybe you're a really, really hard worker. So if you listen to Jocko, you probably know who David Goggins is, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> he's the epitome of working hard. Mm-hmm. But like if you read his book and listen to his audio book, Can't Hurt Me, what happens to him? He almost works too hard, right? And what happens? He ends up getting injured, you know, has these crazy surgeries and is out of the game for a while. So you kind of have to have this idea of balance where, you know, if you go too far in any one direction, it's maybe not the best approach. So at the tip of the period, recharge so it's great to work hard it's really really important but at the same time if you only go 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 you're going to kind of grind yourself into oblivion into pulp eventually so you kind of have to be able to to ease off the throttle a little bit here and there and, and you know, balance is probably a good way to think yeah that lack of balance for david goggins so he has to stretch for like two or three hours a, a day now because he just has worked himself into oblivion yeah totally i mean listen he's a really good inspiration if you if you want to get fired up and I listen I, I listen to that every every so often and uh, you know mentioned in the book too some Jocko stuff I, I listen to his podcast uh, quite a bit uh, some really good stuff if you want to talk about another example of again you had mentioned earlier sometimes you just have to hear different perspectives to kind of tie some of these ideas together and you listen to some of his podcast episodes where he's talking to prisoners of war people that have truly gone through some of like the worst stuff you can imagine Right. Or if he's talking about, you know, concentration camps or something like that, like folks have really, truly been through the absolute worst things you could ever imagine. The reason that they're able to overcome and get through this is because they have that internal locus of control. Like they stay focused on the things that they can do. And, you know, hearing these personal stories is is really interesting, especially, you know, if you have the chance to listen to these people while they're still alive and are still able to, you know, articulate their experiences. It's really, really interesting draw from that and actually so one other thing too i noticed that as well you can hear something a hundred times but every now and again you just happen to be in like the right mindset or the right frame of mind and you hear it and it clicks and it registers and that's it but like i just i thought that was fascinating because again it's 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 hearing the same message but for some reason you're just you're in the right spot in your life or whatever and it's just like boom this like light bulb goes off Yeah, I have actually thought about that specifically a lot because, you know, so when I was 350 pounds, like I knew that I was overweight and there was more than one person telling me like, hey, you're that's not good. You know, my my parents, my fiance, like all these people were like, you know, I mean, not just straight up blunt with it, but like, hey, you could probably lose some weight like you got some health problems going on. What are you going to do? But it wasn't until, you know, I was like that for a year or two and then you know I got I was at a point in my life where I kind of got fed up with my own you know bullshit and the and a doctor told me like hey you're not you know this is not good if you want to live a long life this ain't it and um you know and I think about that all the time on people's journeys whenever they are at their heaviest or they're they're climbing to they keep you know going downhill so to say and then it's the same information they've heard a bunch of times, but for some reason it just clicks and they decide to make major change. And that's one of the things I've been most interested in doing the show is like, why does it, you know, hit different sometimes? Why does the things you, why do the things you hear just hit you differently sometimes? That's a good question. I would be interested to know that answer too. (laughs) Again, it just seems like, I don't know, you're just in the right frame of mind hear something and it really resonates like I honestly remember I was uh my my wife had taken our kids down to like Legoland in Florida this was pre-COVID and all that stuff obviously this is like summer of 2019 and and I had to go do some work stuff so I wasn't able to go but my mom and sister actually met with them so it's not like I I left my wife hanging there (laughs) and I'm driving up to to go have dinner with some folks and I'm listening to one of Jocko's uh audiobooks extreme ownership actually that's what it was 
in it's like one of the later chapters and he's just talking about like the most successful people or at least the most disciplined like they just yeah they don't always want to do the things but they just do them anyways because like they know that they need to and i just like for some reason it just was like this punch to the face and i was like <laughs> yeah duh you just do the things that you need to i mean it's like whatever like in life you're not always going to want to do everything that you need to but guess what like we're grown-ups you know you just go and do them anyways that's just kind of how it works and people that are more successful just tend to do that and they're more consistent with it so yeah what's funny like i knew that i was probably a fairly disciplined person anyways but it literally was just this slap to my face that said you know wake up dude that you're just you're not doing as much as you could and i said yeah, I tend to agree with that. Yeah, and I 100% agree too, but that's actually one thing like I've kind of grappled with over the last couple of years is like, you know, I, I try to be a very disciplined person and I try to do all the things you're supposed to. But then one question I had for you is you seem like a person with a lot going on with, you know, your company and training and family and, you know, being a dad and all this kind of stuff. How do you achieve balance and like manage to do all the things you're supposed to do? Like, for example, like, you know, I struggle with like, uh, I have to do my mobility work. I have to sleep. I, ha I need to read. I need to spend time with my family. I, I, you know, I got my job. I need to. And it just seems like sometimes you run out of hours in the day to do those things. So, you know, that balance in managing those things, how, how do you accomplish that? It is definitely tough. And there's definitely been points in my life where I've not been very balanced. So early on in RP, when started, things started to take off a little bit, I was definitely not balanced at all because it just worked, kind of necessitated that. It needed it, it required it. And so my wife and I were definitely not balanced. And it kind of takes you to the point where we're almost getting burnt out from just working 24-7, 365, that we had to acknowledge that and be like, okay, we just can't keep going like this. And so we were able to, you know, get in more help, people help with customer service and all that. So we were able to take some off of our plate. And, you know, one of the cool things now is we have enough people working for RP that, you know, I don't have to be so hands-on. And so it's almost, it's good, you know, we're able to work from home. So knock on wood, we've been very fortunate through, through COVID that we haven't really been impacted in that sense. And so like that gives you a little more flexibility and freedom. But the other thing, is just kind of you know, making priorities. And I, I started getting up a little bit earlier because for me, because I knew, I, let's say I have to take my kids to school or whatever it is, you know, before my wife's up, before social media is, you know, blowing up, email notifications, all that stuff. For me, it's just easier to get up a little bit earlier, knock out some of these things so that I already have them done and out of the way. So when real life does kick in and kids are up and they need stuff and you have household chores and work emails and social media and all this stuff going on. It's just really hard to, you know, take an hour in the middle of the day and be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just going to go read and do all this other stuff. It's just really hard. So if you're just able to maybe get up and do it earlier, not everyone can get up early. Like I totally realize that, acknowledge it, but you just have to kind of really take some time to prioritize yourself because it's easy to get caught up in the day to day. Everything's going on. Too much is going on. You just got to really make it a priority, I think, is probably the key. Yeah, I agree. I, th I think um, if you, you know, make a list of priorities and then build that with a good schedule and then have the discipline to stick to the schedule um, you build, you can really, you know, maximize your time. That's, that's exactly what I try to do. I, I try to get up early, get my mobility in, work out go to work on my lunch break, you know, uh, I eat meal prep food. So it takes me like 10 minutes, try to, you know, walk for 10 or 20 minutes after that, just to get in like a little bit of, uh, you know, increase my knee or whatever. And then after work, come home and, and spend time with my family or go to jujitsu and just do one or one or two of those things. And, um, you know, that's how I try to maximize it. But, you know, every day there's something that falls off. There's something I try to be, I, I need to be a little better at. The number one thing is probably sleep because, you know, getting up at four o'clock in the morning, I'm trying to go, or 4.15, 4.30, I'm trying to go to bed at like nine o'clock. And that's like the hardest thing. That is probably the thing I do the worst. But as far as for my training and, and nutrition and recovery, the whole thing, that's probably what I need the most. So it's a del delicate balance that I definitely struggle with. It is. Yeah. I struggle with that too. So, um, you know, I had a really good streak going where I was getting up at about 
5 a.m. every single day. And it just, it was part of my routine habit. And, you know, even if we traveled a little bit, it's just, boom, it just, it just is what, it's what I did. And ironically, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. So I had, you know, this, I had like five months straight, I was doing that. And that was perfect every single day. It just becomes part of who you are. Just, okay, mm-hmm. whatever, like, this is just what happens. You know, okay, so I'm up a little bit later. No big deal. Like maybe I'll catch a nap midday or whatever. Maybe I won't, whatever. But uh, around the holidays, uh, I was just, I was feeling a little extra beat up. And so like, I slept in one day. Like, oh, wow, like, that feels really nice. But the thing that I realized was I lost that momentum. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard to get it back. It's just, I, I don't know what it is. It's just psychological, of course. Like, you just have to be disciplined and just do it and, and get back on track. But I just couldn't believe it. It's like I took that one day off. I seemingly lost all that momentum. And then what happens, right? The next day, you wake up and you're like, oh, oh yesterday I felt really good when I slept in. And it's just, it's really hard to, to get back at it. I just, I found that fascinating because, again, I like to consider myself someone that's fairly disciplined. But again, just losing that, just seemingly lost all of my momentum. And it's really hard to get back on track. I can, I can 100% relate. I've been in almost the exact scenario. So uh, the holiday, I, like I said, I get up 4.15 or so, holidays hit, I was sleeping in, you know, took a week off, went on vacation. And then, um, then I get back and it's just like a short time between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then I, so then I get COVID and for three weeks, for three weeks, uh, you know, I'm trying to maximize sleep as much as I can, you know, like rest and stuff. And I'm going to bed at nine o'clock and not waking up till like 10 a.m. Like, cause it, it wiped me out like big time. And, um, so this has been my first week getting back up at four o'clock in the morning. And that has been like, you know, it, it's terrible trying to get out of bed. But when I had done it for so long, like almost a year straight, pretty much every day, it was easy. It was just the time I got up. And now like that first morning getting myself out of bed was, it was a process. Yeah, yeah, no, well, I can absolutely relate. It just feels terrible that first day. Then you just kind of get back in the routine and mm-hmm. it seemingly gets easier. It's really funny how that works. So again, I think that's actually an important lesson for people that might be listening because yeah, well, the first couple of days that you try to maybe change your nutrition habits or your training, it's, it's not going to feel easy. It's probably not going to feel enjoyable, but again, you just take slow little steps, you know, you don't have to change everything right at once. You just maybe start something kind of easy, gain some of that momentum, gain some of that self-confidence, that self-efficacy. You think that you can do it and you start doing more of it. And then lo and behold, you know, a couple of weeks later, a month later, it's like you're able to start compounding on top of those little victories. You know, you can make some really big changes just from doing these little things that seemingly don't seem like a lot while you're doing them. But again, it's just, it's building towards something and creating those good habits and all that. Because I think a lot of people think that they have to basically go from zero to a hundred overnight with all these huge habits. And boy, it just seems really hard. I mean, some people can, I suppose, but for a lot of people, it's easier to just kind of take these small, slow incremental steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I have a couple like more training, nutrition, diet related questions that I want to ask you. Um, And you know, a bunch of the people who've been on this show have lost a hundred pounds, 150, 200 pounds. Like these people are just dropping massive amounts of weight and killing it. But one common thing that I see in that, you know, is a little different from some of the advice that I might hear on your show or, or other people's is like a lot of times when they have that much amount of lose in their mind, it's like, I'm going to die and lose this hundred pounds. It, exact same for me, you know, before I, over this last five years, I've dove into nutrition and training. Like, you know, I've fallen in love with it and I didn't know the same things then. And so the day I started, I'm like, I'm on this journey to lose a hundred pounds. And that's like a linear journey. There's no, uh, it's just dieting from now until I lose it. And so, you know, I, I, now I do not think that's really the right way to go about it, obviously. Um, but so if someone's in that situation, hundred plus pounds to lose a massive amount of weight to lose, um, what, what is your advice? What's your guidance on how they should just start and maybe how to, how to structure that? So it's, it's a simple concept, but it's not easy to truly grasp and to do and implement because when you get in that motivated state and you finally are ready to make those changes, you're so fired up. You're so amped up to do it that you just think that 
that fire, that drive is just going to always be there. And so that's not the case, unfortunately. Like motivation is going to go up and down a lot. Mm-hmm. But again, people get that and they're like, yes, I'm ready to do this. I'm finally ready to make these changes. Let's aim it. Like, let's just crush it all. I'm just going to get those 50 pounds, those 100 pounds of that way. I'm going to do it three months, six months, whatever it is. And I understand that approach, right? Because we all want fast results. We all want it quick, impulse society, basically. But you have to take the longer term time horizon. You have to be like, okay, well, if I just try to basically crash diet to lose as much weight as fast as I possibly can, what tends to happen is the faster you lose weight, right? Usually you're doing more restrictive things. The more restrictive you are, well, what happens when you reach your end point? Typically it comes back a little bit faster. So the quicker you lose weight, typically the quicker it comes back. So if you're able to just take a little bit more, you know, go back to the whole idea of balance, you just have to be a little bit more balanced in your approach. It's like, okay, maybe instead of aiming for 50 pounds in three months, maybe I aim for 20 pounds or 30 pounds in three months, depending on where you start. And like, that's a very noticeable change. And mm-hmm. you get to the end of the three months or whatever. And then what's really hard, and do you know who Ethan Sipley is? Yep. Mm-hmm. So he's a really good person to listen to because he's been 550 pounds in, in, in Remember the Titans. So like famous for being the bigger guy. And he's been working with RP for like a year or so now has, has a cool podcast himself, uh, American Glutton podcast. And he talks about this a lot, the idea of maintenance. So it isn't just all about this linear weight loss journey. So you're going to lose weight for a while, but then it's actually okay to stabilize for a little bit. Because what it does is you give yourself one, a mental break. So you can't just keep restricting, 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 restricting. It just doesn't work like, you know, psychologically. Like humans just really are, we're not wired like that. Because the more and more you lose, the more and more you have to reduce your calorie intake over time. It just comes with some bad trade-offs. And again, like typically the more and more you lose after a while, you have to lower calories so low that you end up moving less. You don't want to do anything. So it has these negative trade-offs. So again, you just go for three or four months. And then you kind of just, it, it's kind of the idea of taking three steps forward, one step back, but I don't like the one step back. It's three steps forward, one step to the side. Right? And you just maintain for a little bit. Give your mind and body a chance to catch back up a little bit. And then you just keep going. You repeat that process again. So you die for three or four months. Well, maybe you take it easy for a month or two. Maybe even if you want to get a little bit more strategic about it. You can plan it, right? So if you have this maintenance period of one or two months, whatever it is, well, boy, when's a good time to do that? Maybe over the holidays, mm-hmm. right? That time from November to December and then January hits again, you get that another surge of momentum because everyone else is, is seemingly dieting and you, you get after it again and you lose another you know, 20, 30 pounds. So then after two diet phases, let's call this eight months, you know, you're down 50, 60 pounds and you're able to maintain it easier. So I always like to think about it's actually not that hard to lose weight because you can do some pretty crazy stuff to lose weight. But what's really hard is being able to maintain after you lose that weight. Like that's the part that I think gets overlooked quite often. Yeah, I don't think when, one, I think that there is like a really big lack of information when it comes to nutrition and weight loss and things. Like when I started the show, I joined a bunch of weight loss groups on Facebook and that was like a huge mistake, kind of in some ways. I, I see like, for example, I saw a lady in one of these talking the other day and she's talking about um, eating like 600 calories a day and um, I'm eating 600 calories a day. I'm not losing weight, but I'm full. Like, can I keep cutting my calories down lower? And I'm like, at some point you're, you're just like starving yourself, you know, like, why would you want to do that? Um, and I kind of forgot where I was going with that. Oh, not enough people think about like the long-term span of it, you know? And that's why I'm glad I, I found, um, like early on in my journey, I found people like Mark Bell and, uh, like, uh, there's some guys, mind pump, it's a podcast. Um, and in a lot of those and, and tried to understand those types of things, but it's still something that I'm not good at is structuring, like say my year or my, um, I've never been good at structuring my maintenance periods and like massing and those kind of things. And so that is one of my goals uh, that I kind of changed a little bit after listening to your show. And my goal starting the year was have the best like 
physique I've had, but the plan of it changed. And that is to focus on really maintenance periods and like define maintenance periods and define massing periods. And, uh, you know, I think that's going to help me in the long run. I think if a lot of these people that had a significant amount of weight to lose would, you know, structure those, uh, they would be a lot more successful. It's, uh, it's the idea of that immediate gratification versus delayed gratification. So you just have to be able to understand the long-term thinking process. And it's really hard for a lot of people because they just want to lose that weight. They just want to get to, you know, whatever that goal weight is. And that's fine. I totally understand that. But you have to have a plan for after the diet's over. So like that lady eating 600 calories, she's only thinking about the short term. It's just not a long-term sustainable approach. That's the problem with a lot of these fad diets. And again, it's a supply and demand thing, right? Like a lot of people are demanding quick fixes overnight. And it just doesn't work like that. But there are a lot of people out there that are ready to supply that, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you're only thinking about these short-term outcome goals. And you're maybe not thinking about the actual like behaviors that go into all that. And if you took a step back to think about all those behaviors that go into these outcome goals, like, hey, I want to lose 50 pounds. Okay, great. Well, how are you going to go about that? Well, I want to exercise four times a week. I want to make sure I take my lunch with me every single day to work, like little things like that. And if you start there, you build those foundations, everything becomes a little bit easier. But again, it's just really hard to convince people to overcome that short-term perspective and think longer term. Whereas, again, there's no big secret to success, but the people that are more successful, they're able to think longer term and they're going to you know, some, let's say you have two different people, right? And one person's only focused on losing weight as fast as they can. And the other person's, you know, kind of going slow and steady. So the one person is going to drop really quick. And then they're going to kind of hit that wall and they're going to eventually probably rebound back up or whatever. And then it, it's honestly, it's the tortoise in the hair. There <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think of it like that. Um, so one thing that I did want to get your guidance on is, is so I, I've heard a lot of different, this said a lot of different ways, but a lot of people don't suggest, if you are strength training, don't suggest like massing until you're under like a certain body fat percentage. I've heard like 10 or 14 or, you know, before that's really suggested. But if a person has a lot of weight to lose, and this is probably going to be over a couple of years um, in their, I guess they're kind of in my head, they're kind of you know, a lot of dieting, driving those calories down over and over again. Do you suggest that someone maybe has like a massing cycle in there to, to add some muscle, maybe try to bring that uh, caloric need or back up a little bit? Or am I thinking about that the wrong way? Um, I don't think you think about it in a bad way, because if you start eating more, you kind of give yourself more of that mental break. And so if you're, if you're massing, you kind of get to a point where you're eating enough, you almost look forward to cutting again. So there's, there's maybe a little bit to that. The, the downside is if you try massing when you're not super lean, what tends to happen is per pound of weight that you put on, the amount of muscle that you put on when you're not as lean tends to be a little bit lower. So you tend to put on a little bit more fat. Like why okay. that is, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that, but you know, maybe it's like just a little bit of insulin sensitivity, things like that. But uh, yeah, typically the leaner you are when you start a mass phase, you're probably going to be better off. Um, is there a set number? No, not really. For someone, it might be, you know, 10%, but for someone else, maybe it's, you know, 12 or 13%. Because like they feel pretty comfortable with where they are, you know, 12, 13, 14%. And they're okay if they take, you know, a couple month mass period to gain some weight and they understand that they're not going to get leaner during that period and they're okay with that. Like again, it could be part of a longer term strategy for sure, because they know that, hey, if I put on a little bit more muscle now, the next time I diet, it's probably going to be a little bit easier. But for people that are really trying to lose a lot of weight, instead of doing those mass periods in there, just run those maintenance periods, which kind of serve as the same thing. You just eat more, you're able to train more, you have more energy. So long term, it's probably going to be better to, to go that approach until you kind of get to your quote unquote end point where you're comfortable with how lean you are, and then you can probably mass. That's probably what I would Awesome. I, I think that one thing that um, I, I've heard you talk about a little bit, but um, for me, like I, I as far as like for jujitsu and things, I, I like the size that I am. I don't I don't necessarily want to get much uh, lighter, but I would like to um, re recomp. So would you suggest like just basically maintenance and in, in, in training um, to get to that sort of thing? Depends on how fast you want to do it. 
the most efficient approach to recap is probably going to be, you know, you diet for a little bit. So maybe during the first three months here of the new year, you know, maybe going pretty hard diet, you know, lose 10, 15 pounds, something like that. Get pretty lean. Then maybe you on a mass phase, kind of gain some of that weight back, put on some more muscle. So that's maybe a little bit more efficient way of doing it. Mm-hmm. But some people aren't as comfortable, you know, losing weight and then gaining weight and stuff because it, it can become a little, little complicated. The slower and steadier approach is you just maintain. Yeah. And you can, you can do that. It's just a little bit slower because it's not quite as efficient. So, so real quick, just break it down. Mm-hmm. The best way to lose fat is you have to be in that caloric deficit. So you have to be eating less. So that's the best way to lose fat. Best way to gain muscle is the exact opposite of that. It's actually being in a caloric surplus. So again, a lot of people, they want that. Like, well, I want to, I want to lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. Yes, of course. Like we all want that. <laughs> but again, it's, it goes back to that balance. Like it's, it's hard because there are two conflicting goals. So if you just set stable the whole time, you can. It's just, it takes a little bit longer. You have to be more patient. If we wanted to be real rich, we would uh, come up with a pill that allows you to just lose the fat and gain the muscle at the exact same time. Uh, well, you know why, why some people take uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, are, that does kind of exist. Yeah, I was going to say that's about, that's about as close as you can get. But, um, you know, obviously for long-term thinking, long-term health outcomes, it's not, you don't want to pull that lever. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I do have a couple more questions for you, like around nutrition, actually, or around, um, training. I did have, um, I have one listener submit like a really good question. And I thought that you would probably be the perfect, a very good person to answer this is, you know, so he was talking about training in, um, training in particular, a lot of the people that, you know, you talk to or come across that are very, um, that do have a large amount of weight to lose, um, are intimidated by the gym, you know? And so his question is basically, if you're a hundred pounds overweight or, or more, how do you approach the gym for the first time? What does that look like for someone? That's a really good question. I mean, there's maybe two, two approaches to think about there. One could just work out from home for a bit. You're really not comfortable with it you can still do it especially now after covid you know going to the gym is, is maybe not going to be quite as popular so i don't know maybe that's actually a good thing because there's fewer people at the gym now so maybe you're more likely to go um but again i think the biggest thing is you know find find a place that you'd like to go or you know somebody see if you can get a accountability partner or you know a workout buddy to go with you and then you know kind of feel all by yourself. I think the other thing to say is most people, it's, I think it's more of a self-conscious thing. I really don't think too many other people that are serious in the gym or sitting there thinking and judging everyone else. I think we all are guilty of that. We're like, we're kind of our own worst critic and we think that everyone is sort of looking and judging us. Whereas like for the most part, they're probably worried about that same thing themselves. Like if you're worried about a bodybuilder who's, you know, 5% body fat judging you because you're hundred pounds overweight, they're probably thinking the same thing. They're probably like, oh man, I hope that guy's not judging me. Right. So mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes people build these things up in their heads a little bit more than what is actually going on. So just get in there, man. Just, uh, you know, again, like good people, they're going to see people showing up to the gym and just be like, Hey, like respect. That's awesome. You're here. You're doing it. I wouldn't worry too much about what other people think, but you know, you can always start from home for a little bit until you get comfortable. Um, the other, actually another good point might be maybe a higher personal trainer, a couple of sessions. So if you're worried about, Hey, I might, I might look silly while I'm doing these things because I, I don't know what I'm doing. Hire a trainer for a couple of sessions, have them show you proper form and then you get some of that confidence and then you can go in and do it by yourself. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was kind of my takeaway. Like if you're unfamiliar with the gym, you're unfamiliar with a lot of the movements. I mean, that trainer served two purposes. Like one, it's, you know, to, to help guide you, make sure you don't quote unquote look silly or, you know, anything like that. But then also um, for safety reasons to show you the the correct form of things and, and, you know, how to, you know, structure your training in a way that you won't get injured. So a trainer is definitely something that I would recommend as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Actually, I think it's a really good approach for a lot of people, especially probably even more important for those newer to the gym. 
So I can't get off here without um, asking you about your your new journey into jujitsu. So I, I've heard that uh, you've been training for a little while, right? Well, so I really got into it. Honestly, I got into it from listening to actually a couple of my colleagues at RP. I mean, they're like world champion jujitsu grapplers. Yeah. A couple of females, like they're complete badasses. Would totally wreck me 100%. And uh, my buddy Mike started RP with me. He's a purple belt, probably be a brown belt before too long. So I kind of knew that like I probably should be training jujitsu. And I started listening to the Jocko podcast a lot. He's just like, you know, sometimes you just got to do some things that you're not really comfortable with. And I don't have a grappling background. I've never done martial arts. So here I am, like 32 years old, walk into the jujitsu gym 10 minutes from me. I've never done this in my life. So I feel like a fish out of water, 100%. I don't know how to do anything. Nothing feels natural whatsoever. And like, I'm kind of slightly athletic, but nothing feels good. It's just, everything feels terrible. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just, I wanted a, a new challenge and jujitsu is the ultimate humbling sport, just like weightlifting. You know, I, you can have someone who's hundred pounds lighter than you wreck you in a matter of seconds. And so I, I got really into it. I was going four or five times a week and uh, then COVID hit and, you know, my wife had some, some health stuff and quarantine. So I actually haven't been back since March. Now I haven't been not training. So my kids, I have two kids, my son's almost nine, my daughter's six, going to be seven here this spring. And so I was training with at home it's awesome because, you know, we couldn't do it every now and again we'd hop on a little zoom thing with like the teachers and they would help out um, credit to them they actually opened up their gym one day for us to come in just by ourselves and uh my kids got to test to to get their next belt promotion and like they were it's really easy to motivate people when you have something like that coming up yep because they were so excited to get that done and they did it i mean dude they can probably do arm bars better than i can <laughs> six so but that's it, man. I love it. Honestly, like as soon as I can, I'm going to be back in there. Um, you know, I had some goals set that I wanted to, you know, reach some certain things and it's been tough not being able to do that, but uh, you know, eventually I'll get back to it. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I, I understand that struggle of not being able to train a lot and stuff, but it's, um, it's just really fun to be able to do something that's way outside your comfort zone. And it's just so hard, but for some reason, just doing that hard thing is all, is just, it makes you, it's so rewarding. Like, so I, I am, I get a lot of shit for this from my friends and stuff, but I'm not ashamed to say like, I started doing jujitsu because of Joe Rogan and how he talks about it. You know, like he talks about just doing hard stuff every day, just like makes you, in a sense, like makes you a better person because you overcome things. And, and I thought the same thing with my weight loss, you know, it's like, I, I can do, I've lost this amount of weight. I can do anything with the right plan, the right strategy and, and the right discipline. And then whenever I found jujitsu, it was just like even added to that, the more and more I started doing it and I've been doing it for like three years now, but, um, it just feels awesome to do something hard and challenging and overcome that. And then to feel your progression over that time is just, it, it's an awesome feeling. Holy man. And I was hooked. I definitely was, you know, drinking the jujitsu Kool-Aid and I was <laughs> you know, going four or five times a week. I would go to, you know, open sessions and just, just roll. And, and I, you know, the teachers at the, at the school were, you know, it, everyone's so nice at jujitsu. You almost never meet someone that's, you know, total jerk and no. stuff. And everyone's just so cool. And, you know, it's like, yeah, Hey, you know, maybe they'll get you this time you get them next time. It's just, you roll with it, you learn with it. Um, I, I really love it, man. I'm, I have really, I, we've fallen off a little bit, like my kids and I. We, we honestly, when COVID first hit, it was, I was committed to it. I was like, we're going to be doing this every single day. And it was actually something we did every single day, 30, 60 minutes. You know, we kind of coach them. You know, we'd have fun. It was, it was a thing. You know, maybe now we're like once a week, just because it's really hard, man. Motivation falls off after a while. There's no, you know, there's kind of dangling carrots not right there in front of you because, you know, you gotta, who knows when, yeah. you know, because for kids, you know, they love that whole bell thing and, and, and stuff. And I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't also drawn to that because it's a good motivator, but uh, yeah, man, I love it. I think it's a really good thing for kids to learn. I think it's even you know great for adults to learn because it's ultimate and humility and, and mm -hmm. checking your ego. 
Awesome, Nick. Well, I have uh, one last question for you. I ask everybody the same question. And uh, so if you could basically summarize it, one tip that would help the listeners uh, on their on their journey to be successful, what would that one tip be? Be patient. Everyone wants results overnight. You got to be patient, though. You just kind of got to learn to love the process. You just do these little things every day. And it's not going to feel like you're making a ton of progress, but you just keep doing them. You just focus on consistency. And if you are consistent over the long run, you're going to be more successful. So consistently good is better than occasionally perfect, right? And then totally falling off. So you just got to be patient, slow things down. That's it. There you go. Consistently good is better than occasionally perfect. You heard, you heard it here. Well, thanks again uh, to Nick for being on the show. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure that you guys check out the Hungry for Success uh, Facebook community. There's a lot of good stuff going on in there. People trying to encourage each other and uh, uh, make sure that you hit the subscribe on your podcast app. We would uh, love to have you as continual listeners. So as always, stay hungry and we will see you next week.